0: But just for perspective, how old were you <laughs> when you made this shrimp and grits for 40, 50 people for staff meal? I just turned 16 that day. Wow. Amazing. Wow. What a birthday gift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Lonely Knock Talks, where all the juiciest conversations happen. I'm Chef Birthday Mystery. In this season, we asked each of our guests to share a recipe with us, something that means something to them, like a family recipe, something they grew up eating, something like that. And then I cooked all those recipes so that we could dig in and hear more about the ingredients, the techniques, and the stories behind the recipes. In this episode, we're talking with Rohana Bissaret-Martinez.
1: I'm Rohana Bissaret-Martinez. I first started cooking with my family in the Bay Area, and then I went on to Top Chef Junior, and I competed on the show. I ended as a finalist, and then went into more like professional cooking and like food media as well. And then recently, I finished my first year of school, and I also published my first cookbook.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. I got it right here, Flavor Plus Us. Rohana is a chef and cookbook author and was a finalist on Top Chef Junior at age 13. She spent times in the kitchens of a lot of renowned restaurants in New Orleans, as well as closer to home in the Bay Area. Her recipes have been featured in a lot of publications, and she's currently finishing her undergrad studies at Cornell. The recipe Rihanna shared with us is her jalapeno shrimp with chard and grits. It's inspired by her family's Sunday brunches, as well as her go-to restaurant family meal for winning over that big coworker crowd.
1: The shrimp and grits recipe was something that my family always made. We used to do like big Sunday brunches. I don't know, there's a sense of pride that I feel when mm-hmm. it comes to sharing these types of recipes. So it makes it mm-hmm. so much more special. And I think the food ends up tasting a lot better, too. A dish like shrimp and grits I really liked because the grits pretty much cook themselves, so that's really great. You can just put them on the stove. It requires a lot of time, but as soon as you like get them on there, you're like set. And then same thing with the shrimp. You like marinate it, and then you sear it, and then it's done. So I found that it was a pretty good recipe to make for 40 people because it required like less hands-on activity to like the very end, which is really just like cooking the shrimp off. So we made like two huge platters. I think that was the most grits I'd ever made. It was like this huge <laughs> stock pot <laughs> full of grits and then a bunch of like herby jalapeno marinated shrimp that we seared in these like cast iron pots. And then the kitchen that cooks staff is actually separate from the restaurant. So we had to take these like steaming platters of grits from one door to the next door. It just like filled the hallway with the smell of the corn grits nice. and the kind of like, I don't know, jalapeno and charred shrimp. And that was really delicious.
0: The shrimp and grits is a very classic combo. Are there certain things that are particular to a particular family member of yours, or the style or flavoring, or for example, like a lot of people add cheese, there's no cheese in your recipe. But are there certain things in your family that are like, okay, the grits are always like this or the shrimp is always like that? or Yeah, I think
1: there's a few things that are really important to like my family style Mm -hmm. and just the way that I was raised and just being in California and different things like that. The shrimp and grits recipe doesn't have tomatoes because we often used tomatoes when they're in season and tomatoes aren't always in season. And so I think the jalapeno and herby kind of addition, more of Mm. a green sauce was something that was really familiar to us. And I don't know, it was always super easy to throw together cause there was always different herbs like round season. And then the grits is something that my family always use. We always use the, like the stone ground, yellow corn grits instead okay. of like the white grit. And I mm-hmm. feel like there's definitely a textural difference because something about the yellow ones are a little bit thicker in the mm. grit. And I think they really take to whatever you add to them they take a lot of different seasoning well, where I feel like the white grits kind of, you can add things to them, but they're still going <laughs> to taste like Yeah, grits. they're the white grits. Yeah.
0: Is there someone in your family that is like, okay, that per- everybody wants them to make the grits, or is it pretty much a universal skill?
1: I would say it's pretty much a universal skill. It definitely takes knowing like what you want the grits to taste like, because some people like them runnier, some people like them thicker, I'm more on the thicker side of grits. Like I want them to feel like really creamy. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it's definitely a preference thing, but everyone in my family seems to have like similar preferences. Um, And I think that also just comes with, I don't know, growing up together and having this meal every Sunday. So I wouldn't say there's someone in particular that has the special grit making recipe, but Mm -hmm. I would say that I think the recipe is more tweaked towards my family is because my I have a little brother who's mm-hmm. now seven years old, which is oh, crazy wow. to say because I feel like he's always been four years old. And then <laughs> I have two vegan sisters. And so that recipe is something that um, you mentioned there wasn't any cheese in it, but it's very mm-hmm. easy to make it dairy-free or swap it with coconut milk and different things like that. Grits, mm. I feel like, is something that my whole entire family can enjoy. And I think it, it caters to... My family, and then I think that catering to like your own niche helps other people kind of fit into that in a way, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you're bringing a part of yourself forward in this way. Cooking, to me, seems like it's something that's been just like a huge part of your family, reading your book and your upbringing. And first and foremost, wait, now tell me, how many siblings do you have? Because I know you have older sisters. So I
1: have one little brother, and I have three older sisters who are... All across the United States. Well, two are in New York City and then one's in Chicago.
0: So it's, but it seems like, you know, you mentioned, and I want to talk about your mom later, but your mother was a traditional medicine herbalist Mm -hmm. and just reading a little bit about your upbringing in the Bay Area. I have to say, I didn't grow up in the Bay Area, but I've lived in the Bay Area since I was 19. Oh, nice. And I just like reading your book, I was like, this is a Bay Area kid. <laughs> yeah. Like you're upbringing everything from no refined white sugar in the house and loving nutritional yeast. And also in your recipes, there's so much of your personal heritage of Black, Mexican, Haitian, and then also Korean and Filipino, Arab. I see that your sisters and your mother all sort of in these very like creative sort of endeavors. What made you decide at such a young age that cooking was the thing for you?
1: Growing up, I always was really interested in food. And then starting at like 13 years old on Top Chef Junior, Mm -hmm. like I full sent it a little bit and really got to experience a lot more of the food world in a way that I didn't really know that much about. Because at the time, I just really loved cooking. And Mm -hmm. then I saw, oh, wow, so you can be a food stylist. You can be a producer for food shows. You can be a contestant, a judge all of these different cookbook author and so it was just really amazing and it seemed like a whole other world of just different things opened up that I didn't even know existed Mm. and I I think that's something that really inspired me growing up and I think it's something that still continues to like inspire me and see how I can like push other boundaries and what I want to do like the cookbook was something that I never thought I'd be doing right now but it, it happened over the pandemic and it was really exciting and a new opportunity I think food has just been something that I really loved and I got a really unique way to kind of understand more of the food world
0: I can definitely imagine that and I want to talk more about the family uh, aspect and the history of this dish and your family but I gotta ask you making a dish like shrimp and grits family meal for 40 50 people <laughs> yeah. and you're an intern how stressful is that <laughs>
1: Yeah, I feel like cooking staff meal is always a scary thing to do just because especially like you want all these people at this fine dining restaurant to like the food a lot. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes would grapple between like, oh, should the staff meal be super fancy and show off all these things? And then as I kept making staff meal just throughout my like years in restaurants I realized oh people just love to eat like good food and like comfort food especially when you're working all day with fancy food anyways or like not fancy but like super manicured food you really just want something that is like comforting Um, and so that I think is my like go-to when it comes to staff meal is something that reminds me of home.
0: I would definitely agree as a chef of 20 years. All we really want is something that sticks to your ribs. That's, yeah. If anything, actually more homey yeah. and simple and just delicious. But just to put this in perspective again, and I, I don't want to harp on it too much because you've been in this industry for a while now. But just for perspective, how old were you <laughs> when you made this shrimp and grits for 40, 50 people for SAP meal? I just turned 16 that day. Wow. Amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. What no, it's definitely gift. exciting.
0: You know, and it's interesting because you say that it was for family meal, which staff meal is often called, although that term has come into question in our recent years, yeah. in our industry, in terms of referring to your coworkers as family. And also it is a family recipe of yours, which I think is its really interesting because I feel like that's something that I think for myself as well, when I first started cooking professionally and was asked to make family meal, my go-to was always like, chicken curry yeah, nice. I was always cooking at non-Indian restaurants cooking at European restaurants and mm-hmm. everyone was just so excited about something simple and homey and also like it, it spoke to I think there is this desire for us as young cooks to want to share something of ourselves to share yeah. something of our own uh history um and a little bit about what makes you the chef that you are, and sharing that with folks?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely had to do with me sharing part of my identity with the staff. Gwen is, I I think, New American is the term that it's been called a few times. Mm -hmm. And so it was really exciting to present a bunch of like grits and this marinated shrimp and all these things that I don't think is normally served in that restaurant that made me just fall in love with it even more.
0: And what is the timeline like Reading the book and reading about a lot of different things you've done over the past few years, Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to understand like the chicken and the egg here, which (laughs) came first? Was it cooking and stodging and interning at places and then being on these TV competitions or did the TV competitions come first and that opened the door for those opportunities?
1: At first I was just cooking with my family and then I went on to cook on the cooking competition shows. And that's when I did Top Chef Junior. And then right after that, I went to do like staging and internships in like professional restaurants. And then in between that time, I did like guys Mm -hmm. grocery games and different things like that. Kind of in the Mm -hmm. middle of staging at different restaurants. Then I finally stopped staging and I started working at Chez Panisse. And so that's towards the end of high school.
0: Being on the show and being known and obviously skilled, I mean how you did on the show, opened the door for you to have these opportunities to get into stage. I'm assuming you were working for free.
1: I started <laughs> off working for free. All my internships were unpaid and then when I finally got hired in high school, that's when I first started like getting paid for turning in kitchens okay
0: which technically would be illegal for them to pay you <laughs> if you were 14 anyway so it's not even like I'm wondering how that changed your thoughts about cooking so you're like cooking with your family and it's something that you love you do this competition you do great because you've got this great talent and natural ability
1: thank you
0: how did then the reality of being in these restaurant kitchens. How did that at first and then over time kind of change your perspective on cooking professionally?
1: Cooking at first for me was very like like a home thing that I did at home mm-hmm. and I think transitioning to like fine dining like professional restaurants it definitely was a learning curve for me and mm-hmm. I think when I first started interning, I thought like, oh, this is the pinnacle of food and this is how I should be cooking every day and all that stuff. I was like 14 years old. I don't know <laughs> why I really assumed that everything had to be like processed and reduced and turned into jelly and all these different things. <laughs> After that, I kind of as I was like, got to see different restaurants and one that really inspired me was mr jews in california Mm -hmm. in san francisco it's just such a celebration of his family that in a really sweet way that i just thought like oh i can do like fine dining food and celebrate my family and cook whatever i want to cook and all these things all at once and so that was really exciting And i feel like the food world especially fine dining will like I think make certain things seem so amazing and glorified and wonderful, and they are. But then like home cooking and family recipes are also really amazing. It's the reason why most people love food anyways. It definitely took me time to see where the middle ground of all of that and all the new stuff I was learning and mixing it with just the stuff that I had done my entire life growing up. So that was definitely a curve for sure of working in professional kitchens and things like that
0: okay and a curve i will say that most young chefs and cooks don't make till they're like 30 okay (laughs) (laughs) just want to say there's plenty of cooks that go to school and stage and work in restaurants that think that everything needs to be reduced to a jelly for their entire (laughs) 20s (laughs) before they realize that honest good food is just as important if not more We're going to take a quick break and get back to the interview with Rahana, But first, I wanted to jump in and tell you a little bit about my newsletter. All of these interviews are edited down for the podcast, but there's so much more to the conversations. As you can imagine, me and all of these chefs could talk forever. So if you want to hear the unedited version or watch the recording of the conversation and get behind-the-scenes content of the recipes, etc., photos, and so much more please subscribe to my newsletter. Now back to the interview. What do you think of as the role of like in our society, in our community, what does it mean to you to be a chef and to call yourself a chef?
1: I feel like I still have difficulty calling myself a chef a little bit. Cause like I am 19, but I don't know. I feel like I've worked a lot and I love food and all mm-hmm. these things. And so I'm not sure how I can talk on it in my own experience, but in my own way of like the stuff that I've done and then the chefs that I've learned from. I think the role of a chef is really to enjoy food and share that with other people in, I want to say, the most sustainable way possible. And I feel like sustainable goes for not only the way you source your food, but the way you treat your clients, the way you treat your staff, the way you treat yourself. I think that's the role of the chef should always be cooking with sustainability and loving food. And I think that's something that's really important. And I think it shows in restaurants where you go to places and it seems like people really enjoy working there, which is you're not Mm -hmm. supposed to be in love with your job. (laughs) Like, I'm not (laughs) going to do (laughs) Right, Exactly. It's not your family, but I feel like you should be able to tell when someone really enjoys it and is doing it in a way that's sustainable for them and their staff, which is really hard.
0: Obviously, you don't have to name anybody, but were there any experiences of things that you saw or experienced where you were like, "Okay, not like that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure there's been like little things here and there. I, you know, being in California, you get a little bit of a filter, but not entirely. And there's definitely certain times where I'm just like, oh, not everyone should be talking about the sous chef to chef relationship like this, mm-hmm. the, like where the sous chefs is told to like just follow whatever the chef says and don't listen to the staff and all these different things. There's definitely sides of like the kitchens that I've seen where it seems a little problematic mm-hmm. and you really want everyone to just like, be there and enjoy it because cooking in a restaurant, I love cooking and I love working with other people, but it is hard work. And after 10 hours on your feet, you're not going to be like, I don't know, just so jumping for joy from being there. It really takes the food that you're cooking and the people that are around you to make it that worthwhile. And so I think there's definitely places where I've been like, oh, I could not spend my entire life here, I don't think. But then there are places where it seems like it's really sweet. And I mean, I can't say entirely because I haven't worked full-time at all of these restaurants. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a difference between being a staff full-time and being an intern But there's definitely been places where I was like, wow, this has been a really amazing experience. And it's taught me a lot about if I ever wanted to run a restaurant, like this is how I would want it to go. Mm.
0: That's amazing. And you also mentioned that like in the Bay Area, in the interview with Julia, which is when we met, that you've always in the Bay Area, you've always gone to lots of restaurants that have been owned by women and people of color. Yeah. And that that's really made it so that you've never really had imposter syndrome, which I think is amazing. Tell me about that. Like, how does that feel when you go out into like the larger world? And this is sort of your POV.
1: I think there's sometimes a difference to me between imposter syndrome and feeling like an outsider Mm. because I never really felt imposter syndrome in the way that I was like, Oh, I'm not qualified or anything like that because I always went into experience and just like being an intern and knowing that I had stuff to learn and didn't think I was any more or less qualified than the other intern next to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like most kitchens I've been in, there's very few like other black women in the kitchen, yeah. if any at all. Even at some of my favorite places that I've worked at, who I think have the sweetest staff and the most wonderful like work culture. Mm-hmm. It's just, I feel like black women are just not someone I'm normally going to see in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely like difficult. And you can definitely notice the difference. I think I did a James Beard dinner about Black Foodways, and I did it with all these amazing Black women. And it was just a completely different environment entirely. And I think when I did that for the first time, I was like, oh, wow. I think doing that James Beard dinner was definitely really eye-opening for me because it was one of the first times i had ever worked one with Black women in a kitchen and Mm -hmm. then with almost an entire staff of Black women. And that was just such an amazing experience that I'm so glad I had. So it's not like imposter syndrome, but I got a taste of what it feels like to not be like a minority to the extent of like the only one. Yeah, And that just felt really amazing. Going back to kitchens after that, I didn't feel like there was something missing, but I feel like I know the difference in the like culture. Yeah. I don't think I ever felt like imposter syndrome. I definitely feel like there, I think being in the Bay Area too, in certain places, especially Berkeley, there's a feeling of just knowing that you're one of few. And so I think that's something that I just always had to live with. So it's not something that I'm like pondering or sitting with, but getting to experience a full staff of black women has been just an amazing experience. But I wouldn't say that I felt like othered or outsided. Like outsidered, I don't know. That's the right (laughs) vernacular for it. But I don't think I felt, I don't think I felt inadequate. But it definitely, like you can tell a difference when you're in it. I mean,
0: absolutely. I I know this very well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I totally understand what you're saying when you talk about being at this beer dinner with all black women, and I'm sure you've heard of the Icon dinner series that happens at the Beard House. And I did that a, a few years ago, five years oh, ago. Awesome. So it's all BIPOC hey. chefs and um, JJ Johnson. He wasn't cooking, but he was there in attendance. And at the end of the evening, he came down to the kitchen and he had this toast and he was like, look around you like this place does not look like <laughs> yeah. this all the time. And it was a really like emotional yeah. moment. Like if there's something really different about the just the vibe And how people interact with each other when you really recenter who's in charge and who's in the leadership positions and who's in all the positions, because it's so different than how most of our world and most restaurants operate, that it it can be really profound. You've had all these experiences Mm -hmm. in your career, like in a very public way. What... Do you think about like how that's affected your outlook on, you know, what's next, how you approach cooking and cooking professionally because of the way that you sort of, you know, you weren't just like working in your family's restaurant (laughs) from 13 to 19. You've been on all these shows. You've had all these experiences, both competing and working and staging at really top restaurants and having access to a lot of chefs and advisors and people in the industry who are willing to share their time. How do you think that's affected like how you think about your craft?
1: Yeah, um, I think it definitely affects me a good amount. I think recently I've taken on a different approach to it. Growing up, I think since 13, I started cooking like more professionally Mm -hmm. and that was in a very public way. And so I definitely felt like I need to keep improving and keep like growing what I'm doing and progressing and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I remember I talked with Julia Tershin and she she reminds me often like, oh, there's no timeline to what you're doing. You don't need to be the youngest to do anything. You don't have to rush anything at all. And I think that's something that, especially this summer that I've really taken with me in a way that I really appreciate because I think there's so much pressure to like be on Instagram and post everything and seem like everything is happening all the time. And it got in the way of how I cooked for my family and how I cooked for my friends and things like that. Being in school and getting to experience food with new people in a way that was very personal. Like for my birthday dinner, for my 19th birthday, I think eight of my friends and I, like we all cooked in the dorm kitchen and made a huge meal. And it didn't get posted on Instagram, but it was just a really sweet moment. So it was something that I didn't really do growing up. It was mm-hmm. like a lot of the food that I made, and a lot of the stuff that I did was like to be shared with other people. So it was it was really nice to be able to take back a little bit of those like more personal experiences. And then same with working in professional kitchens over the winter break and summer break, I've been working at Shea Panisse and it's not something that I like. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, posting on Instagram. Oh am curious mm-hmm. to be starting back full mm-hmm. time at Shea. It's just something that I do over my school breaks. And so that has been really... I don't know, it's been sweet to do stuff more for like my own enjoyment and things like that instead of posting it online, which I feel like makes social media seem so big and important. But I feel like it can get really like intense and immersive if you're really in, I don't know, a constant state of feeling like I have to post every week. I have to post two stories a day and all that stuff.
0: I wouldn't know anything about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Being in school definitely has let me be able to take a step back more towards like my own personal memories with food and things like that Mm,
0: i love that i love that you have the you know wisdom to be able to take that step back and take your life and have it be your own and not feel like you need to feel that pressure and on that note i do want to talk a little bit about your mom yes because i assume the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree (laughs) your mom you said in the book as a traditional medicine herbalist. Mm -hmm. How has cooking, and and you have two sisters who are vegan, your mom is also vegetarian? She grew up vegetarian. She's not vegetarian currently, but she eats mostly vegetables. How has that influenced your cooking? And also more than anything, like do you think about food as medicine?
1: Yeah, I think, it influenced my cooking a lot just because i feel like i was always like told to eat a lot of different things and so that kind Mm -hmm. of made i think my palate a little bit more open to other flavors and experiences and things like that and i think it influences my cooking a good amount not in in a health way but i definitely see food as like nourishment Um, Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that's super important Is like the way that it makes you feel and sometimes I I want something that's really rich and heavy and warm and things like that and then sometimes I want like something crisp and light and different things like that so I think food as medicine is definitely something that is really important I think the way she raised me helped me kind of realize like oh what I wanted in the moment and what my body needed to like do a certain thing and so I think I was really in touch with like food and, and eating and things like that and always I that I think was really good.
0: I'm just curious when you go to whether it's dodging at different restaurants or going to college and meeting new people I just think like when I read your book and so many of the things I'm reading like a lot of the head notes to a lot of your recipes they share so much history you know re centering what the history of a certain food or recipe has been how has that been received by different people i read it and i'm like hell yeah
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) i'm over here i'm like yeah that's right (laughs) james hemmings yeah exactly i love that trinidadian mac and cheese pie but When you're talking with folks that come from other parts of the country in school and stuff like that, do you find that you're like, how do people not know this stuff? You know, we look at our country right now and and what's happening with, uh, you know, education and how, you know, people are trying to, you know, erase people's histories and and not teach kids uh, the truth. Um, And I'm assuming a certain obviously amount of the knowledge that you share in your book comes from not just school but your own uh, learning how has that been received in in different environments
1: yeah I think when it comes to like Mm -hmm. people who are like buying the book it's definitely well received just because I feel like Mm -hmm. it captures an audience from its title and like the cover and things like that so I think there are certain people who buy it with intention like knowing what's inside a little bit But when it comes to like talking about food and experience food with people outside of like the Bay Area, it definitely is like a culture change for sure. Mm -hmm. I go to school upstate New York, so we have nowhere near the amount of produce or even grocery stores. I think it's a half an hour to get to a Target or a Trader Joe's, which is (laughs) the grocery store. (laughs) And that's the only grocery store. So it definitely is a big switch. And I had a food lab class last semester which was really we were making pizza and we were making like the mother sauces and burgers and things like that that weren't super exciting and it taught me a lot about mm-hmm. how other people experience food in a lot of different ways and so that was really different for me to go from being able to try a lot of different cuisines and flavor profiles and all this stuff to to a place where that stuff was a little bit less like I want to say hmm promoted or just like less known I guess but it was really cool to find little pockets where people celebrated their own culture and and loved food in that way I remember one girl was from Pakistan and she did a whole dinner in the dining hall she worked at the dining hall so she was like scooping Mm -hmm. the mac and cheese and like the barbecue chicken every day but she like during her like time off mm-hmm. and everything like that she would test recipes from her home and she did this huge celebration in the dining hall where she had live performers and music and all of these dishes from her hometown and it was just a really amazing it was one of the best meals I had at the dining hall <laughs> I think so it was just really cool to see her celebrate her family and in a way that was mm-hmm. just like her loving food and I think that's that mm-hmm. was really cool to see someone just like loving their own food in a way that was just so personal to them. And that was really, I know it was really sweet to see. So it's cool to find little pockets of where like, I don't know, food is really like shown and loved and things like that. But being in upstate New York and just being outside of California, it is hard to find like a lot of different types of food, a lot of different flavors, a lot of different like vegetables and things like that.
0: So you are Gen Z, correct? Yeah, yeah. What do you what do you see is the future like and not in this big amorphous sense, but when you think about food and restaurant culture and especially just in your the time from when you're 13 to 19, the last six years the things that have changed, obviously, the COVID pandemic was a huge influence on just how everything has changed so much within restaurant culture, as well as obviously Me Too and so many things that have come after that that have been positive. What do you see, whether it's about food in our industry and restaurant culture, or just like the future of like food and restaurant spaces?
1: Yeah, I think when it comes to food and like the future of it, I th- there's a lot of different avenues I would say. When it came, like, comes to professional restaurants, it's really hard to tell. But I will say with food media, I think watching food TV shows so young, at eight years old at my grandma's house, and then seeing the mm-hmm. switch from Julia Child and Jacques Pepin to like, all these cooking competition shows and seeing how home cooks just got such an inside look of professional kitchens and how the celebrity chef and all those things like really took off in a different way. And in Mm -hmm. that way, I think there is a new way that's kind of reaching Gen Z, if that makes sense, that I think is really exciting. Things like The Bear, the TV show The Bear, which everyone mm-hmm. has their own opinion on. But I think mm-hmm. it does do a job of, of showing Gen Z this like different outlook on restaurants in a professional way. I think I watched it with one of my friends this summer, which I hadn't watched it until like last month, which is a little surprising. Yeah. But I watched it and it was just like, see, like watching it with someone who never like worked in a restaurant, anything like that. And mm-hmm. just them being like, oh my gosh, this is all the stuff that happens. And this is, I don't know, these are the restaurants that like, People cook at and things like that. It was really interesting to see how like certain like aspects of like kitchen culture is just not really known by like other Gen Z people who aren't like working in restaurants. So I think in that way, there's definitely an opportunity for there to be another like cultural food media, like not to be dramatic, like little renaissance type of thing. From I don't know, I know Mm -hmm. Food Network really had a huge blow-up in like early 2010, maybe. I'm not sure the exact time. But Mm -hmm. people got into food a lot during that time. And I think it's becoming more mainstream in a different way. And I think that's Mm -hmm. really exciting to see like in the next 5, 10 years where that goes and what people do with that.
0: Yeah. You talk about uh, food media a lot in terms of where you're headed. Do you think that's going to be more your direction? Do you ever consider opening a restaurant?
1: I don't know. I go in between of like... Really liking food media. I mean, I started on like a cooking competition show. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely something that, I don't know, it feels known a little bit to me. Mm -hmm. And then opening a restaurant. And I've heard such like amazing stories, horror stories, like all of this. So it sounds really difficult. I'm in hospitality school. So there's a lot of like Mm -hmm. restaurant groups that come and talk to us and things like that. And I think being in school, I just, I'm getting the opportunity to learn more about it and figure it out a little bit. It does seem like there's a timer
0: Mm -hmm. ticking
1: down sometimes when you're in college, but... Mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to convince myself here, (laughs) but it is exciting to see, I think just like talking to like different alumni and seeing where they go with it. It was cool to see all these different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's something so cool about creating a restaurant. Um, So if I had the opportunity to do it, I definitely would. It seems really exciting.
0: I think we are, we're done with all the serious stuff.
1: Awesome. Whew. We
0: can relax <laughs> I just have some really fun questions for you now. We do a little, we call it the lightning round, but it doesn't have to go that fast. Okay. There's no timer, like I said. Got it. Um, and so I'm going to start. Just what is something recently on one of your trips, favorite dish or drink that you've had in Ooh, NYC? I
1: would say... There's this really good omakase restaurant that I went Mm -hmm. to in New York, and it was the best omakase I had ever had. I haven't had that many, but Mm -hmm. it beat out some of the Bay Area ones I've been to. I know. The rice was really good. It was really seasoned. It was really yummy. It was one of my favorites ever.
0: Amazing. Now we'll go on a totally different direction. Hot dog toppings. What are your favorites?
1: Okay, so I... I grew up going to Top Dog in Berkeley. If you know, okay. you know. Yep. There are a lot of different opinions on it, but I always get the onions, the brown mm-hmm. mustard, and ketchup.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. That is controversial.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For some people it's the ketchup, for some people it's the onions. So I'm not sure. For
0: me it's the ketchup. I'm a little oh, I'm sorry. a little thrown, but I'm gonna be okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's a job that you, uh, so what is a job that you thought that you wanted when you were uh, a tween,
1: I guess, <laughs> or or younger? As a toddler, I wanted to be like a bus driver because I really like my school bus driver. And then mm. I think as a like tween, like middle school, I think I wanted to be a real estate agent because I thought it was cool that they wore suits and
0: stuff. Nice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bye. I'm not so sure. I think a lot of people wear suits,
0: so. (laughs) You can wear a suit no matter what you do, (laughs) if you want. What is a favorite meal that you like to make for loved ones? I
1: mean, it always changes. It's normally like what they have in their kitchen. I don't know if there's like a favorite, Mm -hmm. but recently I was visiting my sister in Chicago and I was like, let me come cook for you guys. Like, they're like, no, we don't want you to do any work. But I was like, no, I want to cook. Uh, and I made, she had like mm. brisket in her freezer that she like defrosted. I braised the brisket and made these like scallion pancakes and pickles. We put like the brisket in the pancakes and like like a little taco style nice. and like homemade pickles mm-hmm. with this cabbage that she had t- tried to get through. I really like using what people have in their kitchens and figuring stuff out, but I don't know if there's a go-to.
0: Just whatever you're feeling yeah, exactly. in the moment. Speaking of which, you're staying at a friend's or your sister's house for the weekend. What are three tools or ingredients that you would bring with you?
1: I would definitely say knife, Mm a nice cast iron, Mm -hmm. and I think food. I love fresh garlic, Hmm. green garlic,
0: really good. Green garlic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love green garlic. Okay, Bay Area, I got to ask, what's your favorite taco, like, filling style? I
1: love Ganesada. It's my favorite. It's just a staple.
0: Wow. Pets. Do you have any? Have you had any? Is there a history? Are there names?
1: Yeah, I grew up with primarily two cats, Mm -hmm. Jasmine and Oscar, Mm. and they were such opposites. Oscar was such a sweet little, he would lay down and hug you Mm. like he was a human. It was really sweet. (laughs) Then Jasmine was like an old lady cat. I didn't really want to be messed with that much, but they are so sweet. I definitely want to get a cat my junior year when I don't have to live in a dorm.
0: Okay, one last question. What is a wow food memory of yours? What was something that growing up that you ate where you were like,
1: I mean, growing up, wow. I think they were like staples that my family would always make mm-hmm. during like holidays and things like that. And my grandma, she's Mexican, mm-hmm. and she makes wonderful Mexican food. But she's also such like a talkative person, mm-hmm. and she'd always get recipes from her coworkers. And there was this lasagna recipe she'd always make around the holidays, and it was like my favorite thing ever. And you ate it, and you got like, heartburn a little <laughs> bit. You had a fit for a second after, but it was really good. And I think growing up, that was my first like, wow, like I love this recipe.
0: Amazing. I want that recipe. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> this is really great. I really like the book. I'm definitely going to cook from it. Yeah,
1: for sure. Thank you.
0: A big thanks to Rohana. We will be linking to where you can get her book as well as more information about her in the show notes. Once again, thank you all so much for listening and please, if you feel so inclined, follow Loading Doc Talks in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoy all the things that you hear, leave a positive review or just share with a friend. You can find me at Chef P Mystery on all social media platforms except for TikTok because I'm old. Shout out to our podcast and music production team, Copper and Heat.